We're live. All right. Welcome, everybody. Shave Baseball Report. It's Thursday edition. We bumped it a day to uh, to accommodate others. Um, so uh, I don't know that it matters what day of week we do, as long as we do it, right? Yeah, and then we get it posted. Our following's been growing. You know, we've... Uh, as long as we just keep bringing that sweet, sweet energy. That's right. That's right. That's a listen. And the beauty. And the beauty goes on. It was some, you know, decent looking old men. I'm the only old man here. I'm the only old man here. That's why I said that. Yeah, I was going to say, the vision's going, guys. huh? <laughs> the rest of you guys are. So, we've been doing some work around here. Andrew, did you see the boxes that John and I built yesterday? Yeah, I was going to ask. Like, they look good, but like, what is that for? Safety? What is that? Was that what that's for? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't know why we did it. They wanted it done. And, it and looks good. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it looks like just an industrial area. We have fun of, doing it. We, we took it. It's like, it's like this whole complex here. We took it down to the last board, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. The absolute last board we, to get we that done. Board shut, so we actually went and we, uh, we, we, we Frankenstein some we stuff, man. Yeah, so four by like four. smaller too. Well, well, we did the smaller ones intentionally. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's yeah. artistry. It's really just artistry. It is. It is. It, there's uniqueness. There's some character to it, and uh, we're proud of it. I mean, I was taking pictures on the way out. You were too, weren't just you? Just don't lean against it. No. <laughs> yeah, when I we're not sure how we'll how, have to get a how well it formed. Lean against it. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, full bore college season underway. Um, you know, it's it's I I got ESPN Plus, and now I got to get Flow Sports. I got more streaming services or whatever just to watch. You know the the number of games that are out there. You know, trying to follow Rasmussen and Tulane and. He's Got off to start. a good start. Yeah. How about how about another? Uh, you know, we're going to bring on one of our recipients of the spirit of the game today, Landon Powell, a little bit. But um, how about Parker Bird? Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and he uh, he was he was an award winner this year. So, and if people that don't know, our you deserve a chance gala is it, it, it's a big event for us. And what we do is we raise monies to uh, you know keep kids in the game that can't afford to stay in the game. You know, keep them in that right environment. And um, you know, we've had some some amazing amazing uh recipients you know from tom walter to landon powell to uh michael schilt jack leggett parker bird morris madden i mean we go down the list grady little jack um i said leggett who else we've had in there we've had uh heck tommy viola's got an award i mean all all people that have taken the who else chris singleton singleton was good yeah yeah so but we've um it's grown you know, it's, it's, it's a great event and we moved back to night stadium, um, out of, out of the Ballantyne food. Wasn't the super best. No, it's that really, was, that was the one piece that it's a nice view baseball yeah, kind of, but your feel. mother's all over that. She's, uh, she's beating the people up about the food right now. So, but it was a great, great environment, you know, to be up in the, uh, in the diamond lounge and looking out over the field and the logo up on the scoreboard. Um, in center field, and then the skyline behind that, pretty impressive. But um, it's a great venue. It's always voted one of the, like the top minor league venues as far as like you know the stadium's appearance. Oh yeah, so it's, yeah. I mean, it's an awesome place to hold a baseball event. You know they consider the thirty first major league team because of their attendance. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how that's much good. they draw. They there. beat Oakland out quite quite a bit this year, didn't they? With attendance, yeah. Well, we talked to Landon. We we both played in Oakland. That's that's a that's a mausoleum, man. Till they were in the till they were they were winning, uh, you know, you know their world championships. But no, that's uh, that place is uh, and it's huge. Have you ever been in Oakland? Yeah, I played yeah. In Oakland against against Oakland. Yeah, that thing's massive. What a dump! Oh, it's horrible, man. It's a horrible <laughs> a just to get dump. there, just to get uh, there. But jump on the Bart from San Francisco, uh, Bart out to yeah. The- Bay Area Rapid Transit, whatever. Yeah, but I'll tell you, you know, for for certain for certain people in the game, like myself, 
any big league stadium is oh, a big yeah. league stadium. And you're like, hey, I'm in the big leagues. This is good stuff. I like pitching know? there with all that foul ground and everything. Yeah, it's a good I, place to pitch. But man, there's just the, I, I guess they called it Mount Al or Mount Al Wills, Al, the, uh, the Raiders owner. Oh, Davis? Al, Al Davis. Davis. Mount yeah. Davis. They call Mount it that Davis. big monstrosity out in yeah. center field. And it, it just doesn't set up no. for baseball aesthetically, anyways. No. It's just it's not an ugly field. It is. It, it it is, and uh, it, nothing was special about the locker rooms or anything like that. But even when I when I was playing, there was nothing special about any locker room. You know, Fenway still had like the original locker room from you know way back when. It was tiny. You almost had to take changing shifts. Um, so yeah, been down to Wilmington. We uh, you know, we're gonna rent the house and stay down there and catch as many games as we can along the way. I did the math. Math doesn't work for the hotels, <laughs> not at all, man. That's uh, you know, you know. Listen, it, it, I just want to be down there and support, um, you know, of, of the the school and the team, and obviously Dylan, you know, and uh, it, it, it's fun to it's fun to lock in. Like we've locked in out here, we've watched Queens work out out here and stuff like that, you know. But to really lock in, um, you know, and watch everything that's going on and how they, uh, you know, how everybody deals with players and. You know how they uh, how they handle visiting teams coming in, and with the, Kent State, Kent State came in to play Wilmington last weekend. These guys won forty games last year. There were some dudes. There mm-hmm. were some big, strong players on there. I thought they had great, great approaches at the plate. They had a good hitting coach there. He's the head coach actually. Um, and uh, Mike Birkbeck, who was a competitor of mine in the late eighties. Late '80s, early '90s, yeah. um, and he is—he pitched in the big leagues you a little you bit. Played against him? Yeah, I played okay. against. Him. He played. He played for. He played part of that. Uh, the Chipper Jones, Rhett Klesko, Javi Lopez. Group, oh, like you know, the '92, the Fab Eight, or whatever. Or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, the Grady, uh, Grady Little managed, and um, yeah. So he was. A, he was. A, he's the associate head coach and the pitching coach. He's been there since he left playing pro ball. He's never left. And he's had you know job offers everywhere else, but um, so it was good seeing him. But it's just funny, you know, if 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 you don't see somebody in all the years and if we were walking down the street together, don't know that we'd recognize each other. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you spend all that time together. It's, uh, you know, there's uh, the, there, there is some age in this game. This game weathers people in a, in a certain way. But, um, but that, you know, it's fun. It's I mean, it's we went over and I saw Coastal play the other day. Coastal has a good team. You know, that, that's a nice stadium. That's, top 25. That's, I think nice. they just cracked the top 25. Yeah, They did. They're in 25. But what a great place to go watch a college game. I stood mm-hmm. in center field. I got behind the wall. I got the wind to block it and everything like that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you literally like. Great indoor. They're, they're oh, like an yeah. indoor thing out in uh, their hitting yeah. facility center. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I, is, that was I, one of my favorite ones. Is it an indoor? It's it's kind it's, of a. It's a. It's, it's a it's a big. You can, uh, drop, you can drop, so you can have some climate control there. But right. you can also. Open oh, you it can up drop. You can drop. I've never, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never seen those drop. That's you why can I can drop. Ask. So, I don't know if it's uh, temperature controlled, but they can control the, you know, wind, yeah, the and, wind stuff and, like and cold that. stuff like that. Yeah, but just a neat. I mean, yeah, that, neat. I mean, everything is automated, so you can move on the nets into any configuration you want, or or go wide open for a full. In- it's a, it's the size of a full infield. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's we we used to have something like that in our first building, remember? Yeah. And then we had then we had, had it in the second building, the but we had the columns in the way. Yeah. Remember, so you feel the ground ball, and you have to take an extra three shuffles to get around the column yep. and throw it across the diamond. Yeah, that's like early early nineteen hundreds baseball. That <laughs> getting around a tree on the field. Or something. Yeah, no kidding. But that, that was that was we had some good facilities. We've had some good space. We've mm-hmm. done well with our spaces along the way. But I think we figured out that. 
you know, unless you're you're running massive teams out of your lo- out of your location, you don't need as many. I mean, we had fifty thousand square feet. Do you remember that? That's a lot. The, that was a huge one, yeah. And then we track, track, and then we put in the uh, the, the the weight system that you know. I wish we had that now. The space for that—that's one thing I wish we had. But mm-hmm. um, we were ahead of our time on all that stuff. Yeah. You know, we had the uh, we had the the turf of the pellets on the inside. Remember, mm-hmm. we had to drag it the uh, with the golf cart. Golf cart. Where is the golf cart, by the way? Is it still over at Waddell? It's at Waddell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. We've already lost one of those, and uh, we didn't. We didn't lose it. We didn't lose it. <laughs> Somebody decided to it was borrow great. it forever. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Queens on the road. Battling hard. I mean, it's you know, that's a different. It's an uphill battle, for it's, it, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be. You yeah, know, and I mean, they got some donkeys on their schedule too. Yeah, <clears throat> they got a tough schedule. You can't back down. You know, no, you, no. you can't recruit. You know, it's one of those things. Like you know, you'd love to just go and play some fluff games and stuff like that, but you can't re- recruit to fluff games. Nope. You know, you gotta get, you gotta go play those guys and get your teeth kicked in a little bit, and then, you know. You figure out who's got the who's got the juice, you know, who can who's going to figure out how to compete against compete, you know yeah. teams like that, and, and then you know they'll be able to put a better game plan in place as the season goes along. But you just got to take your lumps here; they they kind of get started out. Yeah, you're a brand new head coach in here. I've never seen the, the program before. Um, you and you're only going to get a uh, an assessment of your players based on scrimmages and practices. It's so um, I mean, those are good. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. They, you know, they 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 show you what the you know what certain guys could do. But till the till the uh, till the heat's turned up and you're you know you're in the mix of it. This and like you said, the meets the road. they're in they're in they're in big league fights. You know, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, but well, what do you got going on, Andrew? What have you been up to with USA baseball? New camps, regionals up. Uh, a lot of back end work. So now we're 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 rolling. We're figuring out that we all work better from from home. <laughs> it's the truth, man. I roll right out of bed. As soon as that alarm hits, Amanda takes another hour to get get up. I don't. As soon as that yeah. alarm goes, and it's her alarm, not mine. You know, she puts she sets like six alarms to seven o'clock. It's annoying. So there's no way I can go back to bed. I mean, it starts at six, you know, and then how it winds down, you know, to yeah, you know, it's the, like every seven minutes, one yeah, goes off or something. Yeah, nine minutes. So yeah. I just I just get up, cross the hall, and go sit at the computer and go and text you guys at six thirty in the yeah, morning. Yeah, I love it. I Don't love you? It. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. I'm checking on my yeah. team. Saturday morning, team. and you get a six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. What time did you text me this morning? Six fifteen. Six fifteen. Yeah. No, but yeah, you take you know you text John on a, on a Saturday morning. You don't know if he was out barbecuing the night before. <laughs> yeah, barbecue. Because he, he seems to dance a lot when he starts to barbecue. Yeah, yeah you are. We we've heard all about that. What do you think? You want to bring on uh, bring on Landon? Let's do it. All right. So uh, we got a really really special guest today. Um, not that. They all aren't special, but this one is, uh, is special to us on, on many levels. But, uh, you know, you've pretty much done everything you can possibly do in this game in terms of, you know, from a high school championship to going to University of South Carolina, going to a College World Series, um, being drafted twice, um, once by the Cubs um, in the 25th round, and then come back the year and don't take it, and then come back the next year and be drafted in the first round. Um, uh by uh, by Oakland, and then uh, gets to the big leagues, and then in the big leagues, he is one of uh, one guy that's ever caught one of the twenty three perfect games ever thrown. Bradens, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, 
And then, uh, then he steps out and he goes into the coaching ranks and ends up winning a national championship. So there's, you know, I got to find out like, you know, how much more is that good? I think, I think what he did is pretty good. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, you know, you know, I would, I mean, no, not to like toot my own horn, but like, with my 12 u team, we won like seven World <laughs> Series last year. So, uh, just I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Landon, I think he's accumulating some plastic rings too with his son because he's a pretty good athlete and uh, um, Holden. And so we'll uh, we want to bring on uh, the head coach at North Greenville University in South Carolina, Landon Powell. Landon, appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Shay. Thanks for having me on, guys. Excited yeah, to join y'all. Good. So um, on top of all that, he is a uh, award recipient for our Spirit of the Game Award um, a few years back. And we had uh, him and his wife, Allie, there. And that was that was a great night. It was an um, extremely emotional night. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the journey has been amazing, man. It has been, um, you know, from the time you put on the uniform, you've had successes in uniform uh, all the way through to uh, – to catching a perfect game. So walk me through uh, baseball and Apex all the way up to where you're sitting right now. Yeah, Apex, the peak of good living, you know. that's uh, <laughs> I was a great place to grow up. And uh, so my dad, I just from – from an early age, baseball was part of life. My dad was the high school baseball coach at Apex, and he also coached football and taught biology. And uh, he – he was a ball player. He played uh, at Chowan College and then transferred to NC State and, and played there. So, um, yeah, he, he had been involved in the game forever. And um, when he got done playing, he ended up umpiring and was an umpire for 25 years. And then he also coached high school ball. So just always really involved in the game. So from the time I was in diapers, I was I had a, a, a ball in my hand, a bat in my hand, and um, just grew up around the game, grew up around the dugout. and. Uh, I've always just baseball has been part of life ever since I can remember. I played football and basketball and other sports too. I wrestled, but baseball was always kind of the main game. It was it was what everything revolved around, and uh, I I was fortunate. played in played in Raleigh uh, West Raleigh Little League. Um, so as a kid, I got I got over there in West Raleigh Little League, and I got drafted by uh, Mitchell's Hairstyling was our team. It was we wore purple uniforms and. Uh, um, but the, the coach of the team was a guy named Tony Hamilton, and he had a son named Josh who was pretty good. Yeah. And so uh, I played Little League all through my life with Josh, and we were both shortstop. So I would play shortstop when Josh pitched, and then Josh would play shortstop when I pitched. And he was a, Josh was a left-handed shortstop, and he was the best there was. Um, he, he, I swear he would, like, be moving before the ball was hit. He, he would, like, know where they were going to hit it. Um, but uh, what would happen is Josh would get in there and pitch, and no one could catch him. And he'd walk a guy, and then, like, the next three pitches would go to the backstop and a run would score. He, he would throw no hitters, and we would lose because no one could catch him because he threw so hard. And uh, so Tony, uh, Josh's dad, went to my dad and said, hey, why don't we put Landon behind the plate and see if he can catch? I was 10 years old, and my dad said, hey, do you want to catch you know, Josh? And I said, no. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to catch. And he said, well, guess what? You're catching. So get the gear on and get back there. And, and then uh, – from 10 until 32, I was a catcher for the next 22 years of my life. That's all I did. Um, so I don't know if I need to thank Josh for making me a catcher or blame Josh for making me a catcher. Um, when I think about my credentials in baseball and where I am today, I, I'm thankful. When I get out of bed in the morning and take my first couple steps, I'm not thankful um, with the way my body feels and my knees and my feet and ankle. So catching was 
rough on the body, but it was great for my experience. And uh, so I just grew up playing ball with Josh and, and chasing the best players around the area and trying to be as good as them and was never going to catch them in talent and tools. But, you know, playing with those guys made me a better player and it allowed me to have some success. So um, I went to Apex High School right there locally and uh, had a great team and great great experience there. We went, uh, we came in third my, my freshman year in the state, third my sophomore year in the state, and then my junior year we won the state championship. Um, and uh, I got to play on the USA national team in college. I know you guys are very tied in with USA baseball. My first experience with them was when I was 16. I got, I got chosen to play on the 16U national team, and um, we traveled around and played a bunch of games against Japan and Australia. And, um all over the U.S. And then we played in the World Championships that year in St. Louis. And uh, we beat Chinese Taipei. Um, I, I actually was fortunate to have, have the game-winning RBI and drove in the, the game-winning run in the gold medal game against Chinese Taipei. And that was a launching off point in my baseball career. Um, kind of, you know, I was a farm boy from Apex that no one knew about, lived out in the country. And, and all of a sudden, I was getting letters from every college coach in the country because I played on that USA team. So, that really kind of um, accelerated my baseball career. Another thing that I did when I was young was I played for – I didn't play for – I uh, my dad, as, as an ACC umpire, would take me over to NC State when he would do games. And um, Coach Tanner always loved to have a bat boy. He, he, he was big on getting bat boys in the dugout, and, and he, he thought that, you know, having having young baseball players in the dugout would, would grow the game. And uh, he even did that when I played for him in college. But – as a six, seven-year-old kid, my dad would take me to NC State and I'd bat boy. And um, I fell in love with college baseball, you know, sitting there on that bench and just listening to everything that was going on, the conversations. I was probably hearing things that I probably shouldn't have been hearing, but um, it made me fall in love with the college baseball game and the camaraderie and 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 all the things that go into it. And, uh, and then also, you know, Tanner and Coach Toman became big mentors of mine and kind of became family. So, um, when it was time for me to go to college after my high school career was over, I chose to go play for them. Uh, and they were at South Carolina at the time. To be honest with you, um, I, I grew up an NC State kid, thought that's where I would go. But when Tanner and Toman left, I, I basically decided I was going to play for them no matter where they are. They could have been at North Greenville University. They could have been at Queens. They could have been at South Carolina. At wherever they were coaching, I was going to play for them. And so they were at South Carolina, and that's why I chose to go there. And and that was another great decision for me. So that's kind of how my baseball career got started. That was my, my, my youth years there in Apex and just uh, was very fortunate to be able to be around a lot of great players and coaches and have a dad that was a coach. And um, Clay Council, who I'm sure you all know well, that threw to Josh in the home run derby. He was my hitting coach all growing up, taught me how to switch hit. Um, that's how Josh knew him is that Clay would be at my house throwing in the batting cage all the time and Josh would come over and hit with us. And we used to go up to Cary High School there and hit – for hours and and we would always joke to clay like you throw the best bp ever if we're ever in a home run derby you're coming to throw to us and you know, sure enough josh is in a home run derby and he gets clay to come throw to him and i was like one of the few people on earth watching that that day knowing what the conversations we had when we were kids that clay would do that one day and it was an awesome experience to see clay do that in yankee stadium so uh, but yeah, my childhood in the game of baseball uh, is what made me love it, and it's the reason I'm still in the game today, which I'm sure y'all probably have similar experiences. 
Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, this is uh, everything I have in my life has been through the game, you know, and again, we talked about the highs and the lows. He's Lennon's had so many highs, um, but you know, this game has given me, you know, everything I do today or everything I have today is because I've been through this game, whether it's, whether I, you know, you know, whether I parent coach played, whatever, it just, it, it, it raises us. Right. So if you're in this game long enough, we get raised by this game. We get, you know, we get, we get dripped on all the time. Um, we don't always uh, we don't always take it, you know, the way it should be from time to time. But we, um, in terms of how how people coach us and with you know, because we're selfish, right? I mean, as players and things like that, we have we have this selfless nature going through. First, we start off we love it, then we start to see we got a little bit of talent. Then we get selfish about the next levels that we can go to, and then as we get through it, we start to evolve. All of a sudden, we turn around and realize that you know all that had a, a bigger purpose than what what it was when we were in it, and. Uh, you know, Landon's Landon's journey is, is is phenomenal. So when you get to you leave Apex, you go down and play for Tana, you go to South Carolina, um, you guys get into the College World Series because you've had so many different great experiences. You know, between the national team and catching a perfect game in the big leagues and state championship, but you're at South Carolina, you're going for the World Series. You know, can you you know can you can you measure the um, the level of excitement at those different levels? And you know, it's all relative to. You know, being in it because I don't think, I mean, we won one championship, plastic ring. You triple say you and I? Right? No, I won a lot. Of those. <laughs> I won a lot of those. But I mean, you just, you know, I, it's hard to, I, I, I don't mean to take the word yeah. out of your mouth, but it's hard to like, at the time, you don't realize how awesome it is. It is. You know, but like, yeah. you know, you, you get to this point where you, you know, you're out at the playing portion of the game or whatever, you look back and you're like, man, that one was extra special. Yeah. That one was extra yeah. special. I got to imagine. Just, I mean, it gets chills when I think about those guys in Omaha. Oh, yeah. And that does seem like one of the coolest things in, in yep. the game. Yeah. So, yeah, it was incredible for us. I mean, for me, um, you know, back then, too, you know, kids today probably don't realize, but I mean, cell phones were just breaking in, internet was not very old. So, ESPN and baseball tonight for a, for a youth baseball player, high school, college baseball player, like that was it. Like, baseball tonight, we, we watched it every night. You know, ESPN looking for baseball scores and highlights. You know, that's that was such a big deal for us. So, as a college kid, to have an opportunity to go and play on ESPN and be on Baseball Tonight, and like, it was the dream. It was what you wanted. It's all you could care about. So, um, that's going to Omaha and, and being in that limelight was uh, such a incredible experience. And um, you know, my freshman year at South Carolina, we actually went to the Super Regional against Stanford out in Palo Alto and they beat us on Friday night. Jeremy Guthrie, Jeremy Guthrie, who pitched in the big leagues a long time. He carved us up on Friday night. And then we came back and even the series on Saturday. And so we go to Sunday for a winner take all go to Omaha game. And uh, we get down to the last inning and uh, I think it's bases loaded. We're down one run. Our all American at the plate, he hit 400 with 20 homers. And there's only one out, I believe. And um, he hits a missile line drive to the backhand of the shortstop who dives full extension, catches it, comes up to his knees and doubles the guy on second base to end our season. Wow. If that ball gets through, we probably win the game. And we would have gone to Omaha four years in a row. But that, that uh, diving catch kept us from going to Omaha. And, and uh, Ryan Garko and the rest of the Stanford team got to go to Omaha that year and um, and then we ended up going my sophomore year, and we had a great run. And um, we, we lost the opening game to Georgia Tech. 
um, got shut out actually, um, got killed. I think the score was like 12 or 14 to nothing or something. We got killed the first game. And Tanner was just beside it because he had been coaching for, you know, 18, 19 years at that point, had never gotten Omaha. And we finally broke through that year to get there. And um, we get to Omaha, we get shut out and just get embarrassed the first game. So, uh, but we come back, we were a resilient team. We came back and we beat Nebraska, which was the home team. Uh, they had 25,000 fans wearing red that game. And we, we hit a big home run in the ninth inning to beat them. And then we had to face our rival. What's that? The big N stands for knowledge. That's Nebraska. Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska. The big N stands for knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, they uh, we, we ended their season there in front of their home crowd. But what was great about that is that all the Nebraska fans became South Carolina fans when that happened. Um, and, and they started rooting for us, which was kind of cool. But uh, then we had to play Clemson, um, who was our big rival, obviously. And uh, they had the best team in the country that year. I mean, Khalil Green was the Golden Spikes Award winner at shortstop. They had um, they had Kyle Baker playing third, who played in the big leagues forever. Um, they had Michael Johnson, who hit big 30 home runs. Their two, three, and four-hole hitters all had 29 or 30 home runs. Um, they were absolutely loaded that year. And we beat them back-to-back games to eliminate them and send them home. And uh, that was a, as a Gamecock beating a Clemson Tiger and ending their season in Omaha, it could not have been any better, I promise you. There was nothing that could have happened more enjoyable than that. And uh, and then we made it all the way to the championship game against Texas. And uh, we had come through the loser's bracket, and our pitching was toast, and we just had nobody. And Texas had rolled through their bracket on their side. And so we started a true freshman on three days rest, and they started a guy that was 15-2 and two that made All-American that year. And um, they beat us 12 to six in the national championship game. That was the last year of the winner take all national championship. The next year they started the best out of three series. Um, but so we came in second as a sophomore. Then my junior year, we made it back again. Um, we lost to Stanford in the game before the national championship that year. So I guess we came in third or fourth. And then the next year uh, went back again, my senior year. And uh, we made it all the way um we had to beat Cal State Fullerton twice, and we beat them once, and then they beat us the second time, so they ended up winning it. Um, so we had a heck of a run. We're never able to win the entire thing, but came in second, third, and third, basically, in, in my last three years of college in Omaha. And the experience of playing there in front of those fans and just the nostalgia of that ballpark. We were at the old Rosenblatt, and uh, being on ESPN and baseball tonight, and it, it just uh, – it was a dream come true for a college baseball player. And it was something that for me personally, it just, it made me love college baseball even more, but also just want more of that. I mean, it, it drove me to, to work harder and be better and, and have dreams of playing in the big leagues because I enjoyed that experience so much that I wanted to do that full time. So uh, um, yeah, it was a great, great opportunity. And um, you know, in that program, South Carolina, that was a real big launching off point for the program and for coach Tanner you know, they, they were able to start recruiting the best players in the country after that. And the next thing you know, they win a couple of national championships a couple of years later. And uh, so we were really proud of the program and, and, and still are proud of the program. So from there, so you go through your whole college career and then in your junior year, you get drafted late 25th round, something like that, something deep. Um, yeah, I'd, what, I'd played why, on the, why not uh, go then? Why not go then? What what was the decision to go back and then and then obviously the next year you turn it into a first round pick? That's not it's not the norm to go from. Uh, so from the way that whole situation worked was um, in high school. I was 
I was uh, one of the top players in the country. I think Baseball America had me like ranked the number two player in my class, number two guy in the draft. So I was projected to be a first round draft pick in high school. And I had uh, my agent was Scott Boris. And my high school team, our junior year, won the state championship. And we had 13 seniors, and I was the only junior on the team. And I led, like, I got intentionally walked like 40 something times that year. And it, it was like they would just put me up to the point where I was a catcher and I, was, I wasn't very fast. But my coach would just bat me lead off because teams, the other team would just say, put them on to start the game. <laughs> they wouldn't pitch to me. And then in high school, you could pinch run for the catcher. So they would just say, put them on. And then we'd pinch run our fastest kid. And we would start every game with like the fastest kid on base. Um, so I, it, the Scott Boris basically talked to my family and I and was like, look, you know, he got intentionally walked almost every bat this year. Why would you go back and play again as a senior with a JV team? He's just going to, the same thing's going to happen again. Like he needs to go somewhere else. He needs to go to an IMG Academy. He needs to go ahead and, you know, uh, he, Boris had a lot of different ideas. One of the ideas that he found um, was that there was a rule in the rule book. Um, basically, it was meant for, I think it was meant for like military kids um, that move a lot or maybe even like Mormon kids that go on missions or something. But it was a rule that said if you were 18 years of age and you pass your GED, that you can be eligible for the draft, no matter what class of school you're in. So I was a junior, but I had just turned 18 right before the end of the baseball season because I had been held back when I was younger. And uh, I was a smart kid, so my dad was like, why don't you go take the GED? And then, you know, if you want to enter the draft as a junior in high school, you can. So we did. I went and took the GED. I passed it, and uh, we had all our paperwork in order. We sent it to um, MLB, and at the time, Sandy Alderson, I think, was the, the assistant uh, commissioner and uh, or vice commissioner, whatever that's called. And uh, he looked at everything and said, okay, well, he, he'll be eligible for the draft. It, it looks all like it's in order. And Boris responded with, okay, will you please notify all the teams? And Alderson responded with, well, that's not our job to notify the teams. That's your job. And then Boris had a light bulb moment, which he has been famous for over the years of having. He thought to himself, wait a second. If, if, if we are responsible for telling the teams and we don't tell them, none of them will think he's draft eligible. And if he's eligible and he goes through the draft undrafted, then what happens? He becomes a free agent. free agent. Yeah. So now if you have like the number two ranked player in the class, all of a sudden he's a free agent, then he can sign with whatever team he wants, pick, you know, pick the organization he wants to play with. And, and honestly, name, name is price mm -hmm. is kind of the, the idea that Boris had. So now uh, to, to let you guys know at the time, I was a very naive 18 year old country farm boy. Like I didn't have a clue what was going on. This was, these were conversations that were happening really without me. Um, but I just wanted to play baseball. My, also my best friend had just, you know, Josh Hamilton was just the number one overall pick the year before. So that was kind of, you know, for me, I was like, look, Josh just got drafted, you know, in the first round. I, I want to go play too. You know, he, he's good enough to play pro ball. I want to go play pro ball. So that, that was kind of the thought process. I was just going along with everything they told me to do. Um, so we, we uh, entered the draft. The draft happens. No one knows I'm eligible for the draft, so no one takes me. Then Boris notifies MLB that I should be a free agent. There was a about a month period there where they kind of they blacklisted me. I don't know if that's the right firm. They, they basically put a hold and said, you're not allowed to talk to any teams, can't do any workouts. We need to investigate this process. 
Were you so already a commit? Like, were you a hey, Landon? Were you already a commit yeah, was, to South Carolina? Okay. Yeah, I was already. I'd committed to South right. Carolina as a as a freshman or sophomore in college. So I was already committed to them for sure. Um, and I was, so I was just kind of waiting for that process to play out. And then all of a sudden, baseball contacts us and said, "Okay, um, the the hold is lifted. You're a free agent. You go do what you want to do." And uh, we held workouts at my high school. All thirty teams came with with multiple people. I mean, there was. You know, there was teams that brought two or three different guys. Like the Yankees had, you know, Brian Cashman and their international scouting director, and those guys were all there. It was a pretty big deal and, and did a workout at my high school. And at the end of the workout, um, they Brian Cashman, the Yankees, they, they pulled me over into the visiting dugout, and they offered me a very sizable contract. Um, we had a number going in that we were looking for and it was well above that number. So we were happy and we were like, okay, so we agreed to it. We, we uh, actually shook hands and agreed to it. And I was going to be a New York Yankee. And so we went out that night, my family and everybody, we celebrated, went to a steak dinner and um, the Yankees said they were going to, the next morning I was going to, they were going to send me an itinerary, fly me to Tampa and do my physical and get everything done down there at the spring training facility. So, um, the next morning they call and all of a sudden they're saying, Hey, we have some issues here. Um, they used an expression. They said, we're getting outside pressure not to make this deal happen. So we're going to have to pull the offer, which we were just like shocked by and, and very confused. Um, didn't really know what that was all about. Boris was very, very upset. Felt like it was basically because of him, people were being unfair to him and trying to, you know, he, he had already had the J.D. Drew and Matt White situation, if you remember that, a couple years before. Right. So right. I think this was that that was still lingering over this situation, mm -hmm. maybe. And um, so regardless, Boris was like, you know what, forget it. We're going to just hold another workout. I mean, if the Yankees don't want to sign you, that's fine. There's 29 other teams. And I know that a bunch of teams want you and are interested. So we held another workout four or five days later. And it was amazing because the first time there were 60 or 70 people there, all 30 teams were represented. And uh, the second workout, there was only about 15 teams represented. Um, a bunch of them didn't show. And the ones that didn't show were all the major market teams, the big ones, Boston, New York, Atlanta, L.A. You know, they, so the, they word was out, the word was out not to not to touch you. you Basically, you were, that's what Bo to this day, Boris believes that that I was colluded against. Yeah. He thinks that I used a very little known loophole in the rule book to to give myself eligibility to the draft a year earlier than I was supposed to. And he believes that baseball told teams don't sign them because it'll open a can of worms. And um, that second workout, the Tampa Bay Rays were there. I did great on the workout. I actually used wood bat the second time and everything went great. And after the workout, the Tampa Bay Rays, Dan Jennings, I think was the GM at that time. He, uh, he walked me down to the football field. We walked a lap around the football field on the track. And uh, him, my mom, and my dad, and uh, Bor it wasn't Boris. It was a guy named Bobby Brower, who was Boris's right-hand man, who played at Duke. Um, but Bobby, myself, my dad, my mom, and Dan Jennings, we, we did a lap around the track on the football field. And he offered me um, a very similar amount to what the Yankees had offered a week before. And um, we agreed to it, shook hands, and... He's like, all right, we're going to fly you to Tampa. The, the funny thing I've always thought about is that both situations I was going to Tampa. That was where I was supposed to, like, fly right. to. So the next day I was supposed to fly to Tampa. You get a phone call that night, like 9 p.m. from Boris. Hey, just talk to the Rays. They pulled their offer. And then Boris was very upset. He wanted me to 
he wanted me to sit out and he wanted me to sue Major League Baseball and uh, all this stuff. And so this is the point where as an 18-year-old kid, Shafe, I was just so confused and I was I was in limbo. I didn't understand all this business stuff. I just wanted to go play baseball and I couldn't figure out what all this stuff was about. Um, and the money wasn't like an issue for me. I, I, did, I, I don't think I had a very good understanding of money or value, like, it's not something that I cared about. I, I, my family wasn't poor, but we weren't rich. And I just like to play ball and ride four wheelers and shoot basketball. And I mean, like I was a very simple kid and, uh, the money wasn't the thing. It's just like, I wanted to go play. And, and, uh, so high school was starting and Boris was like, you can't go to class. You can't go to high school because you'll, you'll lose your eligibility and you can't sign with anybody. So he was trying to tell me to sit out of school, not go. And he wanted me you to took, travel you took around. You took GED though already, didn't you? Take the GED. Yeah, I'd already taken my GED and passed it. So, right. but that was just a GED. Like, if I still wanted to go to like South Carolina or somewhere, I needed to get like a high school diploma in, in order for NCA eligibility purposes and getting academic scholarships and stuff. So, um, I was at this crossroad where it was like, okay, either go back to high school and and have a senior year, and or go straight to a junior college or or something and play college ball. Um, or Boris wanted me to sit out and not do any – he wanted me to travel around at every ballpark and just do workouts for teams individually. Like just go to Cleveland and do a workout for the Indians. Go to Fenway and do a workout for the Red Sox. And uh, and so – and then I got one more phone call, which was Ray Tanner for South Carolina. And Ray was like, you know, you could just come here and go ahead and start playing in the SEC. And – um that's what I wanted to do. The second that option was was proposed to me, that that kid that, that grew up in the dugout at NC State, loving college baseball, you know, my dad being an umpire and going to hundreds and hundreds of college baseball games as a kid, I immediately knew in my heart of hearts that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go play college baseball in the SEC, and I wanted to get, you know, out of this whole – you know, USA Today had put an article on the front page about this whole thing that I was doing, and they called me a greedy, money-hungry kid. And um, it, it just hit me so hard. I was like, I don't like this. I don't like the way people are viewing me. People don't know me, and they're, they're making opinions about me, and they have no clue, all because of how my family and Boris is handling this draft thing. So I went out on my own shape. I told my parents. Um, I basically said, I'm going to college. And my, they didn't really think that was the right decision at the time, but I did. And uh, they didn't fight me on it. They supported me. But they, they I don't think that that would have been my parents' choice. Um, but I made the decision I'm going to college in South Carolina. So I did. I, I skipped my senior year of college, uh, high school. Then I went straight to South Carolina and started playing college baseball. And uh, so that th- you asked about the draft. That was a situation that happened in high school that was very unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. So then as I go into college, now my junior year, I'm draft eligible. Believe it or not, that situation was still lingering over my head. And I was uh, supposed to be a first or second round draft pick again my junior year. I'd played on the USA national team that previous summer and had a great summer and played really well. So going into my junior year, I was supposed to be this high draft pick. Well, teams had signability questions. You know, they didn't think that I was signed for any certain, you know, under a large number because Boris was my agent. Yeah, it wasn't and, uh, So there was – Was it? No. The money wasn't slotted, so you could go – No, it wasn't slotted. Yeah, right, correct. Right. Millions, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't slotted back then. So, like, you know, a, a normal uh, – if you were the 15th pick in the first round – 
you know, you might have deserved to get one point five million. Well, Boris is a guy that would go say oh, he he needs three. And 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 the scouts and and baseball GMs they knew that Boris's clients were going to need more money to sign. That was just how they all were. And that that so that was hurting my draft stock a little bit. All right, so I made the decision to actually leave Boris. I, I didn't want that hanging over my head, so I switched agents. I got away from Boris and went with a different company, SFX, out of Chicago. And uh, I was doing that, hopefully, hoping to improve my signability question marks and, and make sure that teams knew that I was motivated. And I wanted to sign. I wanted to go play. So the draft comes up. They call me uh, the night before the draft. Several teams are calling, and, and back then the thing that was cool or the the hot thing to do was the the pre-draft deal. You know, teams they the, the money wasn't slotted, but they would try to get you to commit to a number before the draft to save so that they could save a buck. And um, so the Chicago Cubs is one of the teams they called and they want to do a. I and also I need to preface I didn't have the greatest junior year. I hit like three. 15 or 320 with like 12 homers, which isn't bad, but like I was supposed to hit 350 with 20. And so I had a little bit of a down junior year. So I think I'd slid to maybe like a second or third round draft pick going into the draft. And um, so the, the Cubs called and offered me a pre-draft deal for the third round. And um, my agent was advising me not to, to commit to that. He's like, tell them that you, you know, we'll tell them that you'll sign if you draft, they draft you, but we're not, going to commit to a firm number before the draft and um i listened to that advice and uh, the draft came and the cubs drafted tony ritchie out of florida state with their third pick and which i was thinking was going to be me and then the the fourth round came and they drafted uh, jake fox a catcher out of michigan with their they drafted a college catcher their third and fourth round picks and i was sitting here thinking that i was going to be the guy Rangers, Twins, Royals, all those teams were trying to do the same thing, like a pre-draft deal for the second, third, or fourth round. And I just wouldn't commit to it. Um, I was not scared to go back to college another year. I loved my college experience. I did want to play professionally, but I also was okay with playing another year of college ball. I'd just been to Omaha two years in a row. Like the college baseball experience to me was awesome. So um, I wasn't scared to go back. And so I ended up sliding all the way down to like the 25th round. The Cubs drafted me in the 20th. And I – told teams after like the fourth or fifth round i'm not going to sign so don't worry about it so that's why i mean teams weren't going to draft me in the fifth sixth seventh round because they knew that i wouldn't sign be like a wasted pick so when the 25th round got there cubs took me knowing that i wasn't probably going to sign but they were going to take a flyer and try to offer me enough so uh, they took me the 25th round they offered me four hundred fifty thousand, which was like a that was like third or fourth round money you know um and I mean, I was, I can tell you where I was when we had the conversation, they came to the, we were practicing in South Carolina, getting ready for Omaha. It was after the regional and uh, the Cubs guys came to the field and they took me up in the bleachers and we were sitting there while the team was hitting BP and sitting in the bleachers at Sarge Fry stadium in Columbia. And they offered me 450,000 and, and wanted me to give them an answer in the next 24 hours. And uh, I gave them an answer in the next 10 minutes. I just told them, no, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, it's not about the money. I appreciate the offer, but you guys drafted three other catchers. I would be your fourth catcher drafted, and um, I'm not interested in you know being a backup in the minor leagues to some other guys that you paying more money or whatever. And I love my college experience. I'm going to go back to school. So I I answered really quickly. No, I'm just going to go back to my senior year, and um, it ended up being a great decision. I went back as a senior and had a great season. And the Oakland A's drafted me in the first round, and you know I got a I got a I got a better, better signing bonus and a better opportunity. I was the first pick by Oakland, so I was a priority for them. 
Um, I was a prospect immediately in their organization, and it, it, it worked out the way it was supposed to. And for the first time in my life, I got to be a senior. I wasn't a senior in high school. I'd always played up with older players. So for the first time in my life, I got to be the oldest guy on the team and be a captain. So th there was a lot that that year did for me, not only success-wise in the draft and things like that, but for um, for my makeup and my character, I was able to be a leader and a senior. And those things became really valuable for me as my life went on to, to have that experience. So that's how the draft worked out. That's why I didn't take it as a junior. And I went back from my senior year and, you know, it was a crazy journey, that whole process. It's not something I talk a lot about, and uh, it's a kind of a long-winded story, but um, it, it definitely changed my perspective on professional baseball, and and, uh, and my goals and my aspirations were all changed through that process. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. People don't realize about how much really, really, really how much of a business it is. You know. It's all a business, and you go in yeah. as a naive eighteen-year-old, and, and you're like, I mean, you're sitting there, and you're you're kind of a chess piece in the whole match, right there, as opposed to you just want to go play ball. Yeah, tell me, am I going to go play soccer Carolina, or can I go play? Be manipulated ball? by adults to. It's yeah. all, they got all the, you know, it's like those marionettes, you know, those. Yeah, they're just playing around with everybody. Yeah, it can be confusing, right? Because like like Landon's saying, all you know, all he wanted to do was was play. Um, so. You know, you, you do get drafted. You're in, you're in the Oakland organization. You're moving up through the organization. And one of the guys that you're moving up there through is with uh, Dallas Braden. And, uh, yeah, Dallas and I got drafted at the same time. Um, right. He was a 20, 20th rounder or 23rd rounder or something the same year I was drafted. So we, we started playing together in rookie ball in Vancouver, Canada, and matriculated through the entire minor league system together. Yeah, rookie ball, man. That's a, that was Triple A for me with the White Sox, Vancouver. That place wasn't an easy place to hit. It's a graveyard, isn't it? Oh my gosh, man! That's you know, I only hit one home run there, so that, that's how we you know. Moved. How I was, it was, yeah, it must have been huge. <laughs> I was the barometer there, but yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, that grass was thick. The air was heavy, um, but a great stadium. Uh, you know, it was a great in a great city. Vancouver is yeah. an incredible city. I loved yeah. living there, and it was a really cool experience. But yeah, not a not a great place to hit um i think i hit like 250 with four home runs my first short season yeah um so um and i, I probably hit seven or eight balls that i felt like should have been homers but at that ballpark it was just so big um but it was a great first experience i mean to, to go into rookie ball and be in a major league city like vancouver was pretty cool yep. um yeah. so i enjoyed that part of it did you get to go through the pcl at all did no you do PCL, i was all il all il and then i did i mean i did uh, rookie ball my rookie ball was in Danville, Virginia. Uh, well, I, you know, I went to like the complex. I did. I did. I did Bluefield, West Virginia. I played there too. Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> did Bluefield, West Virginia. So, um, you know, you, you get through the you get through the system, you get through the organization, and uh, you're in the big leagues, obviously, for, uh, for a little bit. And um, that day comes when uh, you know. Now, was were you Dallas's catcher when you were around him all the time? Was he your your go to guy, or was it just? Yeah, so I, I mean, I called him a lot. I I, yeah. I called him a bunch of the minor leagues, and uh, and you know he ended up advancing a little more than I did later because I had had a bunch of injuries in the minor leagues. So my um, I tore my ACL twice in the minor leagues and missed uh, a year and a half of seasons, and so um, it was my minor league journey was kind of tough. I I got dealt a lot of adversity with those. I had two ACL surgeries, one in 05, one in 07, and then I tore uh, a bunch of meniscus cartilage in 08 right before September call-ups. And then in that off-season of 08, I got diagnosed with a liver disease and almost died. And 
had a biopsy and all kinds of other stuff. So I had this whole like roadblock after roadblock kind of situation. Dallas had gotten to the big leagues, I think in 08. So he got there a little bit before I did. Um, but then when I got to the big leagues in 09, I, I broke camp with the team in 09. Um, I was, I caught 35 or 40 games that rookie year. I was a backup to Kurt Suzuki. Um, I did well, like as far as, Production, I actually did really well. I was the most productive hitter per at-bat as far as home runs and RBIs and stuff goes. I think I had 140 at-bats or 135 at-bats as a rookie, and I hit seven home runs and had 32 RBIs or something. So I did my, – my numbers were good based on per at-bat, but Suzuki was a – he wanted to catch every day. He, he had been Jason Kendall's backup, um, and that's who he had studied under. And, and so Kendall had that mindset of, like, I'm going to catch every day, Iron Man kind of stuff, and Suzuki wanted to be the same way. So he really fought to stay in the lineup, and I didn't get as many games as most backup catchers. Um, but Braden was already on the team then. Um, so I, I caught him here and there, but I also caught Gio Gonzalez and Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson. So I, I was more of like just catching whoever. My rookie year, my days I would catch would be based on the starting pitcher for the other team. So if they if they had like their ace going, that's usually the day Suzuki would want off, you know? So if I was <laughs> – if we, were, if we were facing Linscombe or CC yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Roy Halliday, yeah. those were the days that I was going to catch. You had a big game after a night game um, facing Roy Halliday. You know, hey, <laughs> I mean, hey hats, off to, hats off to Kurt Suzuki. I would have done the same thing probably, you know. he's yeah. The, if, if you're going to take an off day once a week, why not take it against the best army against you're going to see? Against the dude. <laughs> um, so my first career start was against Felix Hernandez. There you um, go. For, first at bat, I hit a double off of Felix Hernandez. That was an amazing experience, but – um, so yeah, that's kind of how my off days went my first year or my game days. So the second year in the big leagues, 2010 is the year I caught Dallas Braden's perfect game. So that year I was kind of his personal catcher. Um, we just had a really good rapport. I'd caught him a bunch in the minor league. So, um, I was pretty much catching him every start that he made that year. And, uh, that was the year he threw the perfect game. So was his stuff that good that day or were the, the, the baseball gods in his, uh, in his favor as well? Yeah, I think both. I mean, um, so Dallas's uh, repertoire was he, he had an 88, 89-mile-per-hour fastball. Um, he could sink it and cut it a little bit, but it, it wasn't anything special. He wasn't going to get many swings and misses on his fastball. He had a very average, maybe even below – probably below average professional slider. It was not a very good pitch. Um, to show you how not a good pitch it was, there was a catcher, Kelly Shopik, if you remember him, he was, he was a backup catcher in the big leagues, and he was catching, I think, for the Rays or something. I don't know who he's with, Indian, somebody. And and he's up there hitting, and uh, Braden flipped in a 0-0 slider. And Shopik was sitting there, and as the pitch was coming, he goes, <clears throat> like, he made that noise with his mouth. Because it was such a bad pitch, it was just, Braden was just flipping in there, and it would just spin. And, and it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was such a bad slider that it was a good slider. Because hitters would, like, expect it to, to break more, and it just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Braden's special pitch was he had a screwball, um, his changeup, he could throw a straight change or he could turn it over and pronate it and make it like a screwball. And it was about 20, 20 miles per hour off his fastball. Damn. Um, so it was, I mean, a good changeup is, is, I mean, we're, we're coaching and hoping guys have a 10 mile per hour separation on their right. fastball and changeup. You know, a good changeup is 12 miles per hour off. I mean, Braden's, Braden's was 20 miles per hour off. So it was a swing and miss changeup. So that day in uh, Oakland, uh, Mother's Day 2010 against the Rays, his screwball was just extra good. It was it was so – his arm speed was good on his fastball. The screwball was just 
like a Bugs Buddy changeup, just stopping in midair. And um, he had that little slider. We were flip, we were just flipping it in for OO strikes or one O strikes, just stealing strikes with the slider. Guys weren't swinging at it because it's such a bad pitch. And um, he also was locating he was locating the fastball really well that day. And and we had Jim Wolf behind the plate. And Jim Wolf, um, he had a little bit of a wider strike zone than some guys, so you, he would give you that inside corner more. Um, than some umpires. So we were really working the fastball inside corner, getting a lot of guys to kind of jump back off the plate or freeze on that fastball in, and then that would speed them up, and then we'd throw that screwball, and they would just flail at it. So um, it was the least number of strikeouts ever in a perfect game. I think he only struck out five hitters, maybe six, five or six. And um, he only threw 105 pitches or 106 pitches. Nice. Um, That's a a jam. Yep, and there was a bunch of like hard hit balls right at guys. I mean, the left fielder caught a couple line drives right at him. There was a there was a line drive right at the first baseman. Um, Kevin Kuzminoff was playing third, made an incredible sliding catch into the dugout there in Oakland. Um, you know, so I, I would say that it was more baseball gods, Shafe, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, it was just like that day was a magical day, and things were just falling in place and working out. I'll give you two quick little little ways that I can um, kind of prove that. In the third inning, I want to say it was, um, there was a ball in the dirt that I blocked, um, like a you know like a one-two change up in the dirt. I blocked it, and it rolled about 10 feet away, 15 feet away. I went and I picked the ball up, and Jim Wolf um, wanted to switch the ball out. Obviously, it hit the dirt, so – um, from about 15, 20 feet away, I flipped the baseball to him, and he flips me the new one out of his bag at the same time. And as the balls are coming toward each of us, they collide in midair, you know, just right in between us. The two baseballs collide, which me and him just kind of giggled and chuckled because, yeah, we're you know we're on national television. That was kind of funny and embarrassing, but it was just kind of a silly moment. So fast forward in the game, it's like the seventh inning, and Braden steps off the mound and waves the ball. He wants a new ball. This ball has a scuff or something on it. So steps off, waves the ball. And Jim Wolf was an umpire. He's in great shape. If you remember what I'm talking about, he, Randy Wolf, the left-hand pitcher in the big leagues, Jim's his brother. He's a big jack guy, big muscles. He loved to show his arm off. He would jump out from behind the plate and throw balls to the pitcher. He wouldn't hand it to the catcher to throw. Um, so he would always jump out in front, from behind the plate and fire one to the pitcher to show his arm off. He'd throw knuckleballs back to the pitchers and stuff. So Braden steps off the mound, waves the ball, wants a new one, and then goes to flip it to me. And as the ball is coming to me, Wolf bounces out from behind the plate and grabs the ball of his bag and throws it to Braden. Well, in between home plate and the pitcher's mound, the balls collide in midair. And then, wow. and then it's just like, and me and me and Wolf right. looked at yeah. each other, we're like, "What? What just happened? That that happened in the third inning, and now it just happened again at a farther distance. Like that's crazy." And so I think I think it was just one of those days in the game of baseball that just weird stuff so is was it, happening. Is it, is it true that uh, you only got shook off once that entire game? Yeah, it shook me off once. It was a foul ball. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so when he's spinning that doo doo slider up there, are you sweating as you're getting deep no, into the game? No, I was calling it. I'm telling you, like I, they weren't going to swing at it. It was such a bad pitch that they would just take it, and and they would just I mean they they just freeze on it, and it'd be a free strike every time. Uh, it's, just, it's like one of those I, like, just don't throw it twice kind of pitches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only show it once per hitter. Just show it once per hitter. And uh, but his stuff was his his changeup was so good that day, and I had a really good scouting report on them. Um, I kind of knew exactly what to do, and and Braden and I had been playing together for four or five years at that point. I'd probably called a hundred of his games over his career. I don't know if that many, maybe fifty at least. 
And um, so he, he believed in me and trusted my scouting report. There were several at-bats in the game that, that could have gone sideways. I mean, there was a um, – you know, there was a couple of guys that swung at ball four in the game. Um, in particular, the very last at bat of the game, if you go back and watch it, is Gabe Kapler is the very last at bat of the game, and it and it was a it was a three one count. And Dallas Braden will tell you if you go watch his, he's done a bunch of podcasts and you know, interviews about the perfect game. Dallas thought the count was two two. He didn't know it was three one. There was a borderline pitch earlier in the bat that Wolf called ball, and Braden called it was a strike. So Braden thought it was a 2-2 count, and he threw like a sinker. I think it was a sinker down and out of the zone, and uh, it, it should have been ball four, and the perfect game should have ended right there on the very last hitter. But Gabe Kapler swung at it, and it was a ball out of the zone on a 3-1 count, and he hit a ground ball to short to end the game. Wow. Um, so, But, yeah, it was, a, it was a magical day. And for me, I was a backup catcher that never had a whole lot of heroics in the big leagues. My, a lot of my – real big success came in my earlier days in my career in high school and college and stuff like that. By the time I got to the big leagues, I was, I had all these knee injuries and liver diseases. And so I just wasn't the same caliber player that I was when I was younger. So to have an opportunity to catch a perfect game and, and have that highlight in my career that I'll be able to take with me to the day I die. I was really, really grateful for that. Yeah. It, sound, it um, sounds like uh, you can relive it vividly. I mean, like you still see it like you're there and, um, you know what's funny is I never I never went back and watched the game until COVID, um, so I mean I never watched it, never never thought about going back and watching it. And then when COVID happened and the world shut down, my wife and I we took our kids to the beach and we were, you know, we just went to Holden Beach, North Carolina, and we just kind of escaped everything. Uh, with my immune with my autoimmune liver disease that I have, I have to I had to be I, especially when COVID first came out. I was kind of scared. I was like, I need to be careful. They were saying people with autoimmune diseases and predispositions need to be really, really careful. So we, we kind of got away and went to the beach to kind of escape life for a little bit. And we stayed down there for about six weeks. It was awesome. Really great family time. But on mother's day, when we were down there at the beach with the world shut down, MLB network played the perfect game on a loop the whole day. Cause there's no live sports on, there's no live baseball. So they were having to just go play a bunch of old games and, and, and replays. And so they and put that game, the perfect that game, game was on played. That game was played on Mother's Day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a Mother's Day game. So yeah. they, so on Mother's Day in tw- in 2020, when COVID happened, they just played that game on a loop on MLB Network. And so I got a bunch of texts all of a sudden, like everybody's like, "Hey, your game, the perfect game is on the MLB Network. Check it out." So I'd never watched it, and my son had never seen it. My daughter had never seen it. So we sat down and watched the entire game in in, in, the, in its entirety at, at my beach house and. uh that's the first time I had watched it since it happened. So it was, it was really cool. So let's, let's jump now, you know, as, as you know, we're winding down a little bit, but I want to, I want to get to, to North Greenville. And I told you when we, before we got on the air, um, you know, we spoke in 2014, right when you took the job, I guess you was sitting up in the office and uh, you know, and knowing your background, then I was like, what is this guy doing taking this job in North Greenville? Um, you know, this, I think it was like eight and 34 or something like that the year before. And, um, it, it's, it used to be a, a dumping ground for us. I mean, like, okay, you know, kid wants to play baseball, you know, it's, it's a, it's a religious school. It's, you know, it's, you know, let's just, you know, Small, let, middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. I mean, guru is, yeah. guru is whatever. <laughs> I mean, and, it's, uh, it's either, yeah, it's, it's a foot, nobody, no one outside of 
an hour from there knew what it was. Yeah, I had no, no idea, yeah. right? So you, you take the job. You got to be looking at the roster. You got to be looking at the history of the school. You got to be looking at the facility, and you're going, you know, you're probably praying at the time. I know you. You're probably saying a prayer, and, uh, you know, and you just felt like that was the right place for you. And then what is it? Less than 10 years later, you win a national championship. So evolution of that, first of all, the decision and, and, and Allie letting you do that, you know, <laughs> to go up, go up there and get going. Um, you guys had been through uh, many other things along the way that, you know, uh, you know, people can, you know, search out the, the backup catcher on um, E60, uh, you know, the, the, that story there. And, uh, but the, the journey into North Greenville, to a national championship, you know, and stand there holding that trophy and realizing here's another celebration that uh, that the game's given you. Well, so when when I first uh, when I was playing professional baseball, um, you know, Allison, she's really close with her family, and she grew up here in Greenville. And so we were trying to figure out like where we wanted to live, and um, I had a couple opinions of places that I would love to live. I, I, my number one choice would have been Scottsdale, Arizona. I just absolutely loved it out there. And so I was really trying to pull her to go live out there, but she's very close with her family and her sisters and they also lived in Greenville. And so, you know, she said she would want to live in Greenville. And I, I felt like, you know, if, if you're following me around the country while I'm playing minor league baseball and professional baseball, the least I can do is settle where you want to live after it's over. And so we decided to do that. We, 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 when I retired in 2013, in Greenville, and we decided to put roots down here in Greenville. And uh, my first year out of baseball, um, so Furman University, a local academic school here in Greenville, um, which y'all know very well, they had called uh, Ron Smith was their head coach, and he had heard I had just retired, and he called and offered me to be their pitching coach. And um, I took it. I went over there and was their coach. Uh, I was an assistant coach at Furman in 2014. That was my first year out of baseball. I also coached uh, the USA national team, the 15 under team that summer and had a great experience with USA baseball. And so it made me fall in love with coaching. I kind of always thought I wanted to be a coach. Uh, my dad was a coach growing up and then Ray Tanner was a big mentor. So I always just thought that my natural progression when I got done playing was probably the coach. I wanted to stay in the game. I loved the game. Um, so when that was happening, retiring, I had, you know, I had the, a couple irons and I had to, had a guy that came to me wanted me to sell insurance for him, and then he was offering me a big salary, so it was enticing. But I really just didn't want to do that. I wanted to coach baseball. So Furman had this assistant job. I took it. That made me fall in love with coaching and realize I, I was equipped to do this and that I had some really good experience and knowledge that kind of gave me an understanding of, you know, the X's and O's of baseball, but also the way to handle relationships. As a catcher, you know, having to talk to pitchers and talk to coaches and do scouting reports, like, I realized I had all these things that were going to help me be a successful coach. And I, I felt very equipped and, and that was a good feeling. You know, whenever you go into a new career, whatever it is, you, you want to make sure you feel ready and able to do that job and have success. And when I, when I went into coaching, it was like a very easy, natural thing for me. And I felt like this is something I'm good at and I probably should do this. Um, and also I, I always valued the guys in baseball that were the, you know, the lifers that were paying it forward to the next generation. Like, I love those guys and all the coaches. I, you know, I played with a, I played for a bunch of them. The, you know, uh, Burt Hooten and, you know, Wally Backman. And I played for some really great coaches that, you know, they just, they just love the game and they were paying it forward to the next generation and teaching old school baseball and the way it should be done. And 
Um, I, I was like, you know what? I could be one of those guys and be really proud of that. I, I think that's a great life. So um, I decided to coach what I wanted to do. I turned down the insurance job and all the other stuff, and I just went full into coaching. So at the end of that year at Furman, North Greenville called and offered me this job. Um, and like you said, it was it was a, a blip on the radar. I mean, they, they were 8-38 and 38 the year before I got here. They were 2-18 and 18 in the conference. Um, the field, I mean, it's a, it's a Bible college. It's a, it's a private Christian university. Um, at that time it was very rulesy. Um, you know, you, you couldn't ha- you couldn't drink. If they caught you with an alcohol beverage, they'd kick you out of school. No questions asked. Um, it was a, it was a pretty strict school. You got to go to chapel twice a week. It's, it's like Liberty, but on a way smaller scale. Um, and I liked those things about it. That didn't deter me. It, it actually made me value it. Uh, but the baseball program was in shambles. It, it was just a really bad situation. Uh, the facility was bad. Had a chain link backstop. No bathrooms or concession stands. No bleachers behind home plate. Just a big green hill <laughs> for people to sit on. Um, it, it had one batting cage. It had one bullpen mound. It was not. Uh, there was just not much to be excited about. Um, Furman was trying to keep me there. They had offered me to stay there and trying to give me a little salary bump to not leave. Um, but I came on the interview here to North Greenville, and I don't know what it was, Shafe. I can just tell, like, I came here, and I just felt like God was calling me to this place. I can't explain it. It was just I felt at home. Um, I felt called. I felt like this is a place I could make a difference. Uh, I looked at that baseball field and how bad it was, and I looked at the the, the, the schedule and how bad – I mean, uh, the, the record and how bad it was, and I thought, I mean, this is like an empty canvas. You know, it's like a clean place to go start a program. And I had these ideas of things I wanted to do. I mean, I had been in college baseball for a long time as a player and, and as an adolescent, and then I played professionally. And I never understood how those two games were so different. Like, how can college baseball be so much different than pro baseball? Why aren't these two worlds more married? You know, a lot of the things that you learn at the college level, you get to the pro level, and they're like, no, oh, don't do that. Like, this is the way you do it in pro ball. And I used to always confuse me. Like, wait a second. Why are colleges doing things, you know, that in pro ball, they're teaching 18-year-old dudes, you know, to do a certain thing. And then in college ball, they're teaching 18-year-olds to do a totally different thing. And and I, I, I so I had these plans. I wanted to bring a lot of the information and knowledge from professional baseball I wanted to bring to the college game, um, especially from an atmosphere standpoint. You know, coaches at the college level, historically, um, they, they have more control. They're, they're more, uh, it's my way or the highway type stuff. Um, they're, they're more scripted. They can be more cookie cutter in some ways. And that's no disrespect. I, there's a lot of college coaches that I absolutely love and admire, but you get the pro ball and it's a little bit catered more to the player. Uh, the relationships are a little bit more important between coach and player. It's not a authoritative figure player. It's more of a, a, a mentor or like, you know, it's the coaches at the pro level come alongside you a little bit more. And I really like that. So um, I had these ideas and these things I wanted to do at the college level. And uh, North Greenville, to me, was the perfect place to do it because it was a clean slate. It was an empty canvas. And uh, what a better place to start from scratch and build something that I, I believed in. So that's why I took the job. And, and and you joke about, like, not nobody knowing about it or if I was crazy to take the job. I had a bunch of people tell me not to take the job. You know, um, even even Coach Tanner, who the person I listen to the most, he, he kind of – cautioned me he's like you know that's that's not a great situation and that it'd be really hard to, to do things there and um he thought i should stay at Furman, honestly and uh 
And then I had another buddy of mine that was a coach, and uh, he made a comment one time. I I actually have never called him on this, but I should. He, he, he made a comment, if you go to North Greenville and turn that into a winner, you're Tony LaRussa, is what he told me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had, I had people telling me not to do it. Um, but I just believed in it. I just thought this is a place I could I could do something different. And um, well, you, I'm really glad that. to tell you on the back end, I've, I've, it's been yep. fun and been successful. I've not done it by myself. I've had great assistant coaches and great players that believed in me and my mission. Um, I've had a school that's been supportive, and we've done new facilities. And I've had donors come through and donate a lot of money to help us. Um, it is it has been a it has been a collective effort of a lot of people. And, um, and, and most importantly, I would thank God. I mean, I, for me, like, I think God has had a big hand in this. And I don't know everyone's religious beliefs, but for me personally, it's uh, my faith is a big part of my life. My relationship with God is a big part of my life. And I feel like this is a place he called me, and he has um, supported me every step of the way since I've been here. So um, I think I would never have had the success I've had without that relationship. Um, so but it's you, been fun. I mean, we, Landon, when you step in there um... – you got a roster. You got a bunch of guys from the year before. Um, was that part of your your calling that you know? Okay, I'm, I'm going to massage these guys through, but I'm going to you know I'm going to. Or did you just have to kind of wipe the slate and let, let's go and make everything clean? Well, so I had I had three and a half scholarships when I got hired here. Three and a half scholarships, and um, they were already spent. So when I first got hired, I got hired in June, I think it was, or like late May or early June. And uh, basically, I had no money to spend. So I was trying to go find a couple of recruits that would come here for free or had, they had enough family money they could afford it. Um, I, I knew I had, to free, I had to free up some scholarship money. So my first year, that was really the, the purpose, was trying to move some guys out, get some guys maybe to transfer, or get some guys off scholarship. I mean, that's, that's part of the business that I had to do. It's not necessarily fun. But um, I had about 12 to 14 guys that um, – were not there the second year that were there the first year. Um, and uh, I was able to bring some new players in. But that first year, I mean, I, I basically inherited the same roster that was there the year before that went 8-38. Um, I brought in a couple JUCO guys that needed a place. I brought in a couple grad transfers that, 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 uh, that were looking to play one more year. And none of them were like stars. I mean, they were they were better than maybe what was here, but they were still projects in some ways. And um, our first year, we, we actually won the conference championship in 2015. Um, we were picked to finish dead last in the conference preseason, and we won the conference championship. Um, so that was – and that was just culture. It was just changing the culture. It was just getting these guys to believe in themselves. It was teaching them how to play the game the right way. But um, I think more than anything, it was the emotion. Like, hey, you guys aren't losers. Y'all can win. And, and you know, just because you've been – unsuccessful the last couple of years has nothing to do with this year or this game or, you know, take every game one out one inning at a time. And we were a very resilient team. A lot of, you know, we'd, we'd give up four or five runs in the first inning and our guys would be laughing in the dugout, you know, and, and we just had a, my assistant coach, John Kutlangas, who played in the big leagues with the Reds. Um, he was a teammate of mine in college. He played center field at South Carolina and then he got drafted by the Reds and then, he got drafted by the Giants, and then in Double A, he converted to pitcher, and then pitched in the big leagues with the Reds. So he was my assistant, and both of us kind of just had a lot of fun with that first year. Didn't put too much stress or pressure on the players. Had them just having fun and being loose, and you know, hey, you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. That was our mentality every time we stepped off the bus. And uh, lo and behold, we went out and won the conference championship, first conference championship in school history, 
and went to an NCAA regional for the first time in school history. So that that first year was a big uh, was a a big uh, it injected some lifeblood into the program and gave us some um, you know people started talking about us and um, people started paying attention to what we were doing and that really helped in recruiting. The next year we brought in some good players, had a couple transfers from SEC schools, um, a couple transfers from an ACC school. So now all of a sudden we have some talent on the roster. And um, that next year, we, we had a, a great year. And I think we, we broke into the top 25 for the first time in school history. And then, um, yeah, it's just been a gradual climb since then. We just continue to try to bring better players in and keep coaching. And we've built better facilities. In 2017, we got an all-turf field here, which is the uh, first all-turf baseball field ever built in the state of South Carolina, which is kind of cool. Um, now there's been several more, but this was the first one, and that was a big deal for our university. Had a donor come through that that donated $1.2 million for us to do that, and that, that was a program changer for sure. Um, that helped in recruiting, obviously. Um, and, you know, 2018, we, we ranked number one in the country for the first time ever in school history. Um, and then uh, we've won – we, we've been number one in the country at some point in the polls every year since 2018. Um, so 18, 19, 20 was COVID. Um, so I think when COVID happened, we were ranked number two in the country. But 21, 22, and 23, we've been ranked number one in the country all those years. Right now, we're ranked number two. So we're going to have to get number one at some point this year to keep the keep the, uh, keep the the history, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the trend, the streak going. But uh, – it's uh, we, we've had a good run and we've hosted a regional five years in a row, uh, which has been oh, a big deal yeah, okay. um, that at the D2 on. level for people yeah. that don't know. That's really hard to host at D2 yeah. because they don't do the regionals the same as division one. It's uh, there's 40 teams in our region and there's only one host. Actually, now there's two hosts. But they just started that a couple years ago, uh, but it's really, really hard to host. Well, we've been the number one seed five years in a row and the, and the host five years in a row. So, um, to me, of all the things we've accomplished, that might be the the, the, the most impressive. It's hard to host. Um, and then we won the national championship in 22, and we went back to the World Series again last year and, and uh, weren't able to win it. We uh, The team that won, Angelo State, which is a great program, their coach does a great job. We played them in 2022 in the World Series, and we beat them 18-3. to It was the biggest run differential in a World Series game history in history. Um, and uh, it was that was a really big statement win for our program. And then last year we played them again, same team, and they beat us. Uh, I think it was five to three, and uh, or four to two, something like that. And they had six singles. They beat us mm-hmm. with six singles. Four of them were infield bunts. Timely they, hits. They man. beat us. Um, timely the hitting. The ball just didn't bounce our way. Yeah, timely hitting. Yeah. We hit a bunch of line drives mm-hmm. right at guys. We hit a double play in a big situation. You know, just baseball. Um, but yeah. but uh, they ended up winning the they beat us and then they won the national championship last year. But we got a great program. We're we're up there in the top five constantly. We're not you know we we got we're getting a lot of guys drafted into professional baseball. Had had four guys off of last year's team signed professionally. Um, you know we've had I think twenty two now in my nine years here that have gone to professional baseball. It's a good program. We got a great facility now. We got great coaches. Um, I'm, I'm proud of what we built, and uh, I love doing what I do every day. I don't feel like I have a job. I feel like I get to go do something fun, and I feel like I'm making a difference. And I'm doing it at a Christian school, which is important to me. I get to not only coach these guys, but I get to minister to them. And, um, you know, we've had some hard situations and things that, that uh, 
that I feel like is the exact reason God called me to be here. Last, last year, for example, one of my players passed away last year. His name was Davis Heller. And uh, incredible player. No, he died. Uh, here's actually his uh, little memorial oh, yeah. thing, um, but sits on my desk here. No, Davis, uh, you know, I, I won't. I, I don't want to get political or anything, but Dave, Davis's family feels that the the cause was uh, the the vaccine. He he had the vaccine and then died about two months later um, of a heart attack, and uh, he had never, you know, there was no pre existing conditions or anything like that. He just they found him in his apartment. Uh, he got up, he got up one morning and took a shower and got dressed, ate breakfast, and was sitting on the couch. He had a nine o'clock Spanish test, and he had his laptop open open and a Spanish book open and he was studying for a Spanish test and, and that's how they found him. Mm. And um, when they did the autopsy, his heart, it, they basically, he had myocarditis is what they diagnosed him with um, in the autopsy. So, um, and he had just had the vaccine two months before. So I'm not going to say that's what it is, but I, I do know that I do know that that's kind of the belief of, of some people involved in the family and stuff. So, but regardless, it was a heartbreaking thing for obviously his family. And, and for me, I, I lost a child too. So I felt uh, I was, I was in, you know, a situation where I could help someone else that has going is going through the same thing I went through, and uh, and my wife and I felt like we were called in that moment to to kind of be there and, and to to be be there for his parents and his family, and and then also my team. I mean, I had a I had a locker room full of heartbroken twenty year olds that that had never lost anybody close to them and and didn't understand death, and so some of these kids, it was like the first real adversity or loss in their life and so um i realized kind of why god put me here and uh you know i i sometimes think too why in the world did i end up at north greenville university such a random place for me to end up but um those situations like last year make me realize exactly why i'm here so well man the the journey the story is phenomenal and we could spend another two hours here going over it because it's uh you know there's deeper things to um, what's happened in your life that uh, that is, you know, made you the person you are today, and the reason that you're there. Um, you know, you are a recipient of our Spirit of the Game Award. You and you and Allison, and uh, and it's it, it's been it's been impressive to to watch the journey. It's been um, uh, it's it's been fun to see you guys. Um, and I just talk about the journey, the journey of your career, but also you know what you know, stand there and hold the national championship trophy and be ranked like you are. And if people really, if you want to Google North Greenville university, go ahead and then find out that that team has been ranked, you know, number one, so many times over the years at a national championship, you'd be amazed. But, um, it's, it's, it's the people that bring people. Um, it's not always the location. It's not always the uniform. And, uh, you know, we're proud to call you a friend and we're excited to, uh, to see where you continue to take this thing. So, um, you know, we want to give you the best. That, uh, that means a lot, man. And wow. you're a great friend and an awesome guy, and I appreciate everything you've done over the years to um, not only you know honor me, but my daughter and and, uh, and her life. And um, you've been a great friend, and a, and I, I really value that relationship. So um, it's been I've, I've enjoyed joining you guys today, and I'm glad you're doing this podcast. I think it's a great thing. And um, for anybody out there that um, has never met Jeff Schaefer and all these guys, they're, they're first class every way, all the way around, um, from their facility, their teams, their, their, the, the, the dinner, the functions that y'all do, the podcast, a lot of respect for everything that you're doing, Schaefer. And you're making the, you're making the game of baseball better, but also, uh, you're improving a lot of kids' lives and, 
Um, so um, great stuff, man. Well, these guys right here next to me are a big part of that. And Sue Zyke and so many others that are in our, uh, Sue Wilson. Sorry, Sue Wilson. I get beat up about that now. But um, so many good people along the way. And you're that. And so, Lana, thank you. Give Allison my best. Holden Ellie. And um, we'll catch up here real soon. So thank you for taking the time with us today. We All right, Shay. Appreciate you, man. Good, good luck to you guys. Have a great weekend. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around the ball field here soon. We will. Lana, thank Thanks, you, man. See you. So. I know we're over, man, but that's uh, that run of, of you know life in general yeah. is 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 pretty wild. You know, losing losing his daughter, and you know while he was playing, and you know he's had a virus, he's had knee surgeries. I mean, it's a guy that just continues to overcome and overcome and overcome. But he, uh, you know, the game is 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 you know is his sanctuary. I mean, it's 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 where he uh, has his highest level of comfort, and it's not it's never been money. Isn't that funny though? That part right there. I mean, it's. You know, adults, oh, yeah. you know, and we're going to ask for more money and we're going to do, you know, and he he was, I mean, not many 18 year olds are going to make those decisions. Right. right. That's, that's pretty impressive right there. Um, and he's doing what he wants to do. And he's coached under some great people and, uh, and Smith and, and Tanner. And, um, and here he is in the middle of nowhere, you know, winning national championships and getting we guys drafted. Kept going too. Yeah. We didn't talk about like USA baseball much. Oh my gosh. I mean, it, you know, full circle where yeah, he played the world series there. That's a full, that's a full life right there yeah. that, uh, you know, people should hear, but go, go check out E60, the backup catcher. If you haven't seen that, it's a, it's a phenomenal documentary of um, him and Allison and uh, their daughter, Izzy, who they lost to a, to a, a rare form of um, cancer. And um, it talks about his life too, as well. So Man, that was that was a long one. That was a good one. So yeah. we appreciate everybody listening to Shave Baseball Report again. We'll uh, we'll rally up next week. You want to do the sponsor this week? We're gonna go ahead. You want to do the sponsor? I can do it. This do the sponsor. Sponsored by Strathmore Capital Advisors. www.strathmorecapadv.com. Yep, that's uh, get your college funds in place, man. And then uh, Architect Sports, Advocacy Baseball, Stretch Lady, John Ennis, John Easy Cheese Ennis. The, the the crate builder yeah you know yeah we were having fun i went home yesterday and told the man how cool it was like to be like hanging you know tools and drills and shit i didn't cut a board and i didn't drill a nail i just held stuff i, I was a, a, i gave him a sharpie <laughs> he did, he did. that was my tool that was my tool I swear yeah i grew up, i grew up working for local 66 on long island i was a laborer i know how to hump wood and get things prepped and hunt wood hunt wood like oh, go hunt. get that board over there like we, yeah <laughs> He does so, one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you once again. Let's just shave the baseball report. We'll check you out next week. Peace. See you.